In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, O God, Amen. May His blessings and mercy dwell upon us from now and forevermore. Amen. I hope you had uh, a lovely week, and I hope that you are able to um, to think or to practice some of the things that we went through last week together. But just to refresh your memory, or to summarize um, our first session that we had last week, which was about the discipline of the mind. And you remember we spoke about two important uh, aspects of that. And the first one was to how to protect our mind from harmful and unprofitable knowledge. And the second part was to replace this unprofitable or harmful knowledge with spiritual no uh, knowledge, spiritual matters. Seems easy in principle, uh, much more harder to do in practice. But um, like we mentioned last week as well, that the fathers of the desert um, have gone through this for tens of years to perfect some of these practices. So we, we expect that we will, might take a bit longer as well. But it's important that we do practice it some way, somehow, and try to achieve uh, whatever results we can. So now that we've covered the discipline of the mind, um, today we'll be covering the discipline of the will. Slightly different um, angle, slightly different aspect, and um, I suppose if we want to define what the will is, is it's really our whole being, our essence. How can we discipline ourselves in essence? Um, how to discipline the will? Let us start by looking at what St. Paul writes in his letter to the Romans, chapter 7, verses 22 and 23. He says, For I delight in the law of God according to the inward man. But I see another law in my members, warring against the law of my mind, and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. And the fathers tell us that this means that each one of us um, has two wills. And we briefly touched on this last week as well. A higher will or the inner man, which seeks um, after spiritual matters. It seeks for the things that are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. And a lower or sensual will of the law of sin, which is in our members, as St. Paul says, that seeks after things of the world and of the flesh. And these two wills seem to be uh, at war with each other, as St. Paul tells us. There is a war between these two wills. And unfortunately, and for most uh, people, the law of sin is most of the time victorious and it brings into captivity the higher will, or it should be the, the other way around. And needless to say, of course, that the sensual will or the lower will or the law of sin is under the direction of uh, Satan or the devil, our arch enemy, and the higher will is under the direction of the grace of God. So what is our goal then uh, on this road to Christian perfection? It's to reverse this situation. In other words, to make the sensual will become captive to the higher will, or the will that abides by the grace of God. Again, this is a very difficult goal. Even St. Paul himself, he almost laments uh, about this difficulty. And he says in his letter to the Romans, he says, a wretched man that I am, who will deliver me from this body of death? Wretched man I am, who will deliver me from uh, this body of death? And of course the devil is so clever. Um, 
you know, if you succeed at achieving uh, having your higher will um, being in control of all matters, it's only just um, a matter of time and he changes his tactics in order to try to corrupt the higher will to the extent that even he might get somebody to do good works, but this is independent of grace or the grace of God. In other words, he might get people to do good works, but for their own self-satisfaction, for being good in front of others, for being um, notable, for being, you know, sort of um, going down in history as doing some good. And again, this is really not pleasing to God, because unless uh, this higher will is for the glory of God, then it really falls short. And I think it's important that we realize that. Because we get Christian often and, and you know, we are told, well, what about the good people in the world? Yeah, it's great. They do great works. But it falls short of the glory of God. And then, then that makes it fall short. So even if the devil fails, he will not stop at trying to tempt or to rob away from us our righteousness that belongs to us that God has rightly given to us, but we sometimes also neglect to take it. So I think we now realize, not just by what I've said, but by even our own struggles in the spiritual life, that this war is a vicious war. It's a vicious war, nothing short of that. You know, every time you fight, you seem to sort of struggle and say, to when, when will it stop? And the thing is, we are expected to fight till the last breath. So it's an ongoing fight. And you almost feel weary just thinking about it, you know. Can I keep fighting to that extent? Yes, I have to fight till the last breath. St. Paul warns us in his letter to the Hebrews. He says, you have not yet resisted to bloodshed, striving against sin. That's how much our strife uh, has to be, to bloodshed. This is how much our struggle has to be, to bloodshed. And St. Paul also reminds us in his letter to the Ephesians, chapter 6, verses 12 and 13, he says, For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day, and having done all, to stand. That's how much that we need to be prepared for this. And also St. Peter in his epistle, first epistle, chapter 5, verse 8, he says, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, walks about like a roaring lion, seeking whom he may devour. So it's an uphill battle that we have to fight, and we are expected to win this fight. And you might think that this is very difficult. Well, you know what? Even the Lord himself agrees 100% that it is difficult because the Lord himself says, because narrow is the gate and difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. But the good, the good news is that our adversary, the devil, is like a roaring lion, but he cannot force, his free, uh, he cannot force himself upon our free will. The founders of the church liken the devil to a vicious dog that is tied to a chain. It's only if I enter into his realm, then I'll be attacked and devoured. But if I keep away, I might only hear his barking, but will not be touched. So the devil will only act 
as a clever um, salesman, if you like, to try to sell his products to you. But it's entirely up to us whether we accept his sales pitch or reject it. It is like being um, tricked by a good salesperson many times over till you become experienced and then you learn where they're coming from and you start to resist and you start to oppose and you start to uh, become very strict in opposing what they're trying to sell to you and sometimes you might be actually uh, very stubborn to say thank you but no thank you you know and you might just you know shut the phone or, or ask him to leave or whatever so he will use these tricks to us and how many times have you heard great salespeople when they say congratulations if you buy this product you win this trip overseas or you, you know you win this free tv or whatever or you know and um, hang on but wait there's more you know if you buy this offer we will double it and things like that so there's always this uh, enticing and you know wanting to spoil the person who accepts um, you know these gifts or whatever and I know personally of a blessed man who simply tells these sort of salespeople, he says, it's against my religion to accept anything for free because the Bible teaches us that we need to work for what we are actually um, trying to acquire. And then they hang up or excuse themselves. But it's the same with the devil. He will use his tricks and he will uh, become very crafty in the way he uses his tricks to insist uh, that he makes that sale to you. But it's up to you to say no and to resist and to continue on to resist. So how can I then really resist in spiritual terms what the devil is trying to uh, throw against me? The first thing is through prayer. Through prayer. And when I mean prayer here, I mean that when we bring our weaknesses before God in prayer, then we are able to... Um, to be safeguarded from the, uh, the snares of Satan. Look at the beautiful first litany that we pray in the 11th hour of the Agbeah, the book of ours. We say, if the righteous one is scarcely saved, where shall I, the sinner, appear? The burden and the heat of the day I do not endure because of the weakness of my humanity. And I think it's this lowliness that when we present ourselves as lowly people in front of God in prayer, then I think the Lord looks upon us with mercy. So we need to cry out with St. Paul and to say, who will deliver me from this body of death? Who will deliver me from this body of death except you, Lord? I cannot deliver myself. I am weak. I am unable to achieve anything. So I need to say with the psalmist, I say, have mercy on me, O Lord, for I am weak. Remember, the devil cannot prevail against someone who acknowledges their weakness before God. And we have some beautiful examples uh, in the paradise of the fathers or in the early desert um, monastics. One of those was St. Anthony. St. Anthony, in his struggles with the demons, he would say to them, I am weaker than the least of you. I am weaker than the least of you. And it was only when he admitted his weakness in that manner that he was able to be victorious over them. Listen to what he says in one of his sayings. He says, always breathe Christ, for you know the treachery of the demons, how feast they are, but how little power they have. Wherefore, fear them not, but rather always breathe Christ and trust him. I love this terminology, breathe Christ. 
It's almost like here's your life. Here's the breath that you take. So breathe Christ. So the first thing is that I must, um, I must fight Satan through prayer and through presenting my weakness before the Lord in prayer. But the second thing is that I also need to teach myself how to hate sin and to ha how to hate the salesperson of sin. And I suppose if we're, if we're allowed to hate, maybe this is the only hate command that we're able to follow. It's to hate sin and to hate Satan, who is the salesperson of sin. And it's in the same way you might start to hate this salesperson who's trying to push their product on you. We need to do the same with the devil as well. I need to remind myself that the wages of sin is death and that sooner or later I shall stand before the fearful judgment seat of Christ and I need to give an account of my life. I need to repeat in my mind often the prayer of the Agbeah when I say, Behold, I am about to stand before the just judge, terrified and trembling because of my many sins. The first litany of the twelfth hour prayer or the prayer before sleeping. So prayer and the remembrance of the Judgment Day is a great defense. A person who's occupied with their eternity is a person who's going to be so careful about everything that they go through in life because they want to reach that eternity safely. So they're going to be occupied with looking out for the snares of the devil because the Day of Judgment is clear before them. Let us take another example. Uh, a practical example. Imagine that a person verbally abuses you. Immediately the salesperson comes here and he's trying to convince you to defend your honor um, and not let that person think that you are weak. And you have to defend yourself. And after all, it was the other person that started it. So it's only, I'm only acting in self-defense. And on and on, of course, goes the sales pitch. He's trying to sell certain things to us. But I need to diagnose the kind of sin that I'm being sold here. I need to actually realize and to say, hang on, before this reaches my heart, I need to think about it in a logical sense. What do I need to do? I need to immediately say to this sales pitch, get behind me, Satan. Away with you, Satan. Like the Lord said to Satan himself when he was tempted. But don't think that the devil is going to obey you and to get behind you. Instead, he'll be just coming back and forwards with you to drive this home and to make you buy his products. So here we need to actually have our defenses ready that we spoke about in our previous week. How to actually train myself to hate the suggestions that he brings forward to me. And to consider that these are nothing more than a person who's an enemy of Christ, an enemy of good, who wants to sell his products to us. And I'll quickly remind you um, about uh, some of the things that we spoke about last week in one moment. But I want just to read with you a verse that might seem very actually hard to, um, to grasp. And I've taken particularly the translation from the Septuagint uh, translation because it's much more, um, much more harsher. In other translations, it's much more weaker. But listen to what the psalmist says, Psalm 137, verses 8 and 9. He says, O daughter of Babylon, the wretched, blessed is he who seizes your children and dashes them against the stone. Seems pretty gruesome, doesn't it? 
what do the fathers tell us about this verse or verses? The fathers tell us actually that the daughters, uh, sorry, the children of the daughter of Babylon are the evil thoughts that um, come to assail us and come to fire us. So I'm taking this, this horrible thought, this bad thought, and dashing it against the stone, that means I'm putting it to death. Okay? It's not talking about a physical situation here of children being dashed against the rock. No, it's talking about the thoughts, the evil thoughts that are being put away. And the Desert Fathers also teach us that there is a beautiful prayer from the book of Psalms that I need to use often. And it's actually a secret weapon that I can use against the salesman when he comes to offer his sale pitches to me. It's the first verse of Psalm 70, which says, Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. Make haste to help me, O Lord. And when I keep repeating this prayer many times in my mind, it will actually give me uh, to regain my peace again. And the Desert Fathers also said that if you accompany this with signing yourself with the Holy Cross, that this becomes so much more effective as well. So we want to er er eradicate this thought completely. But again, like we said last week, if I get rid of a bad thought and I leave my mind empty, it's only a matter of time before Satan will come and plant some other thought. So I need to actually fill this empty mind now with some good. In other words, I need to actually do a, an act of charity towards this aggressor. Imagine this is what God commands from us, that we do an act of charity towards this aggressor. And to seek perfection here does not mean that I only have to stop thinking bad thoughts, but I actually have to plant a virtue in its place. And this is what the Psalms tell us. Psalm 34 and verse 4. The Psalmist says, Depart from evil and do good. Notice the two extremes. Depart from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. So that's what I need to do, to plan uh, something instead. And that's what the very thing that the Lord commanded us to do. He said, but love your enemies, do good and lend, hoping for nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the unthankful and evil. Of course, it's needless to say that these exercises um, cannot be successful, like I said, without putting into practice what we um, spoke about last week, which is actually how to discipline the mind. And I'll quickly remind you about just two verses that we mentioned last week, because I think they sum up what it means to actually have discipline of mind. You remember that the Lord told us that I shared with you last week when he says to us in the Gospel of St. Luke, he says, Woe to you! When all men speak well of you, woe to you when all men speak well of you. I'm, I'm in danger when everybody speaks well of me. Can you imagine that? And he also says, blessed are you when men hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and cast out your name as evil for the Son of Man's sake. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for indeed your reward is great in heaven. See, so I need to, to th make sure that things are in balance in my own mind, okay? And like I said to you last week, I don't think the Lord was meaning here for us to be, um, 
to be abused or to be punching bags. I think the Lord here is saying, when you turn your other cheek, you're showing people the good side of the Lord, the side that is unhurt, the side of goodness. And there's no better goodness than the Lord himself. But in spite of all this, the war can be relentless, as we all know, and the thoughts can keep coming back to us as if like, like waves, unceasing. They just keep crashing against us time after time. And to be able to fight back, we have to memorize some verses to use in our battle against the enemy. For example, look at Psalm 27, how powerful it is and how actually comforting it is. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat, eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. Imagine how comforting this is when I repeat it to myself, when the thoughts are just relentless. But also, there are other things that I can use to help me along this path too. This path of perfection, or spiritual perfection. I need to seek the help of the Virgin Saint Mary. And this was something that a lot of the Desert Fathers actually concentrated on, and many of the Fathers of the Church actually concentrated on as well. Look at the beautiful prayer that we recite in the Agabeah in the third litany of the twelfth hour, the prayer before sleeping, when I say, O Holy Virgin, overshadow your servant with your instant help, and keep the waves of evil thoughts away from me, and raise my ailing soul for prayer and vigil. The intercessions actually of St. Mary are great help. One of the elders of Mount Athos says something very nice. He says, The Most Holy Mother of God prays for us, ceaselessly. She does not stop to pray for us. She is always visiting us. Whenever we turn to her in our heart, she is there. After the Lord, she is the greatest protection for mankind. After the Lord, she is the greatest protection of mankind. Saint Ephraim the Syrian, he says some beautiful words concerning Saint Mary. He says, O Virgin Lady and Mother of God, you who did bear Christ our Saviour and God in your womb, I place all my hope on you. In you do I trust, for you are higher than all the powers of the heaven. You who is all pure, protect me by your all-powerful prayers. This is how great her intercession is. In actual fact, like St. Paul, we are surrounded by a cloud of witnesses and these Holy, uh, this cloud of witnesses are the holy saints that intercede for us. Look at what Saint Clement of Alexandria says. He says, Though the Christian may pray alone, he has the choir of the saints standing with him. So when you're alone, you are not alone. You are in actually uh, amongst this cloud of witnesses that are there praying with you and interceding on your behalf. There is a beautiful story of a priest who was commissioned by um, St. Pope Carolus to go and pray in a small church uh, in a small village. And out of obedience, the priest went and he prayed Vespers and he prayed the liturgy and went back to report to the Pope. And the Pope said, how did you go? He said, Your Holiness, I went and I prayed for the pews. There's nobody there. 
It's a small village. And you know uh, from the reading of the life of St. Pope Carolus that he was a very simple man. He said to him, don't be upset, don't be upset. Go, go, and they will come. They will come. They will come. Just go again. And he did. And they say that this priest actually saw amongst the pews of the church all the great saints and the fathers and the martyrs of the church. So he was praying in the presence of the martyrs and the saints and the holy people of the history of the church. We are not alone when we actually stand in prayer. So again, coming back to the prayers of the Agbeya, these were actually put in place by the fathers of the church to help us in this war between the two wills. And if the thoughts keep coming to attack us, we have to also remember that those who are with us are far more than those who are against us. Let me relate to you a beautiful story from scripture. One day, um, an evil king um, got his army together and came against Elisha the prophet, the prophet of the Lord. And Elisha had a servant or had a, a, a lad that you know, was working with him that his name was Gehazi. And Gehazi looked upon the mountain and he saw there the chariots and the weapons surrounding them and he feared greatly. But Elisha told him, do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed to the Lord and he said, Lord, I pray, open the eyes, the eyes of the lad Gehazi, that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Don't underestimate how much resources you have that can fight alongside of you. This happened to one of the desert fathers, to St. Moses the Strong or St. Moses the Black. His uh, story tells us that evil thoughts kept assailing him and every time he went to his father of confession, St. Isidore, to tell him about these thoughts that they were bothering him. He would not stop fighting these thoughts. <clears throat> and after he went, according to his story, that after he went to his father of confession 14 times in the one night, complaining about these thoughts, <clears throat> Saint Isidore took him up to the top of his cell and he told him, and he said, look to the west and tell me what you see. And Saint Moses said, I see demons throwing fiery darts against the monks. And then Saint Isidore said to him, Now look to the east, and what do you see? He told him, I see angels defending the monks against the demons' fiery darts. And he asked them, Who are more, those who assail us or those who defend us? And Saint Moses the Strong said, Those who defend us. And immediately when he realized this, that his story tells us that the thoughts ceased to attack him. So when the thoughts are attacking you, know that there's a cloud of witnesses there fighting alongside with you. So resisting the thoughts that the enemy implants in our minds um, actually has its rewards. And try to resist the thoughts this coming week and see how much of a reward you actually will receive. There's a beautiful story in the Paradise of the Fathers that shows us that there are crowns awaiting those who resist these evil thoughts or any thought that is not edifying. It talks about a young monk who lives with his Abba. And you remember last week we spoke about 
that it was uh, necessary for these um, novices or disciples to be in total obedience to their masters or to the Abba that they lived with. So this young monk who lived with his Abba was in the habit of never going to sleep before he prostrated himself before the Abba asking him to bless him every night as a, a symbol of obedience and submission. And one night, one night he came and prostrated himself and said, Bless me, Abba. But his Abba was asleep. And he remained there, hoping that the Abba would wake up. But the Abba kept sleeping and did not wake up all night long. And so it happened that during the sleep that the Abba saw seven angels putting seven crowns on the head of this disciple. And in the morning the Abba when he woke up, he said to the disciple, he said, what happened during the night? What happened during the night? And the young man said to him, forgive me, Abba, but during the night, seven times the thought came to me to leave you and to go to bed. But every time I resisted the thought. <laughs> so the Abba, of course, knew that these seven crowns were for resisting these thoughts. And the Abba related this story to the other monks, but would not tell his disciple this story, lest he fall into pride. You see, when we plant good thoughts instead of evil ones, then the salesperson uh, of evil things will not be able to plant any thoughts in our minds. And again, there are many examples how we can do that. If the devil, devil for example, puts the thought of murmuring and complaining in your mind, because of whatever situation you're going through, you need to resist that. For example, if I failed an exam or I'm going through some sort of mishap or a difficulty, you know, I need to say, uh, to fight these thoughts of murmuring against the Lord and to say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord, in these difficult times. Yes, in the difficult times. Because thankfulness is a beautiful virtue that we need to, uh, to learn, no matter what the circumstances. And we heard this beautiful story by the late Bishop Epiphanius just two weeks before he passed away when he was here in Melbourne. He told us a story about a mother who came to complain to him about her daughter who was lost. Daughter had left um, the fold of Christ and she lived uh, away from Christ. And the mother was very distraught uh, about her daughter not being with Christ. And Bishop Epiphanius said to her, Have you thanked God that your daughter is away from Christ? Sorry, excuse me. Have I thanked the Lord because my daughter is away from Christ? He said to her, Try, try to be thankful for every situation that you're going through. And as related to us by Bishop Epiphanius, the new moment she started to thank the Lord for her daughter not being with Christ, her daughter started to open up dialogue with her again and to come back to her and to come back to Christ. Thankfulness can change a situation around. Because in the beginning you might be thanking just um, by your tongue, but after a while it's your heart that becomes thankful. So your heart along with your tongue will become thankful for everything that you go through, for every aspect that you are going through, even if it might seem miserable, but thankfulness can change a situation around. But also if the sales pitch of thoughts uh, of anger consists, uh, you know, consistently comes against the person, then you need to actually um, take it a little bit further. 
It's not just about thankfulness now, but it's actually about almost making excuses for the person who has come against you or has wronged you. What do I mean by that? For example, if I invent excuses for this person who's wronged me, imagine how, uh, how much peacefulness that will grant you into your heart. Try to give excuses to that person who has wronged you next time and see how much peace of mind it will actually grant you. It's hard, it's not easy. But imagine the peacefulness that you will live by. Imagine if you pray and say, Lord, forgive him and forgive me. How much mercy will come upon you and upon the other person as well. And in doing that, you're actually um, starting to live the life of freedom because nothing then is affecting you. St. John Climacus says something beautiful. He says, the beginning of freedom from anger is silence of the lips. You know, you don't retaliate. He says, it's silence of the lips when the heart is agitated. And then he says, the middle of freedom, or the middle path of freedom, is silence of the thoughts when there is a mere disturbance of the soul. And he says, and the end of freedom, that is the completeness of freedom, is the imperturbable calmness under the breath of unclean winds. Beautiful words. The imperturbable calmness under the breath of unclean uh, winds. In other words, in the most difficult of times, you will actually feel a sense of freedom inside you because you're not harboring any judgment or anything that might, um, might come your way, no matter who it comes from. One more important thing that we need to take on is that I need to actually ask for the prayers of others or ask for the prayers of my confession father. Imagine that you say to Abuna, you say, Abuna, the salesperson is almost convincing me of buying his product. Please support me with your prayers. When you ask for the prayers of your um, you know, um, family or friends or community, these are not just words that we should be using. These are actually a reality because when there's a community of prayers going on, that can shake things to the core. You remember in the days of the apostles, the prison walls were shaken and broken and open because the whole church was in prayer for the apostles who were imprisoned. Okay? So don't underestimate how much prayers can actually save you and help you along your struggle. In the book of the Paradise of the Fathers, and I'll conclude with this story, because I know I've um, gone on a bit long, but the, this beautiful story tells us about a monk who was sent by his father of confession to do some tasks in the city. And the story goes that when he went into the house that he was supposed to go to, uh, this um, bad girl started to actually entice him to sin with her. And he immediately cried out and he said, Lord, through the prayers of my father of confession, please save me. At the utterance of these words, his story says that immediately he found himself on the road back to the monastery. The angels actually snatched him from the place of where, where he was and took him back and put him on the road back to the monastery. You might not be snatched in physical terms to be out of this position, but God will grant you that strength through the prayers that are being offered for you to be able to actually um, get out of the situation where sin might abound. You see, I think sometimes we have forgotten what the main duty of the priest is. 
you know, we, 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 we tend to get caught up maybe as clergy with a lot of issues and things like that. But the mere name of, of the priest or presbyter comes from the word presbyterus. It comes uh, from the word intercession. He has to pray. This is his main duty, that he prays for you. He prays for your well-being, he prays for your peace of mind, he prays for your salvation. And this is the most important uh, duty of the priest. So when you ask for the prayers of the priest, or prayers of anyone else for that matter, then, um, then definitely that's a great aid. Let us quickly recap what I've said today. I know I've spoken too long, but they're actually all summed up very nicely in just a few points. Remember, the goal of Christian perfection is to reverse the situation of the two wills. At the moment, the sensual will is actually taking uh, the higher will into captivity, and we want to swap that around. We want the higher will, the will that is led by the grace of God, to become the one that is in control of the sensual will. Okay? So that's what we're trying to achieve. And I do that by resisting the annoying salesperson that is the devil through prayer and through acknowledgement of my weakness before God but also through hating sin and hating the salesperson of sin and I do that by remembering the judgment day that I will stand before the fearful throne of Christ and also I do this by asking for the intercession of the saints and that is what the discipline of the will is all about easy to say, but might take a lifelong um, struggle to actually achieve. Next week, with God's grace, that we will be talking about the discipline of the senses, how I can actually train my senses and how they can be disciplined uh, to be able to receive or to uh, attain the road of perfection or spiritual perfection. Glory be to our God now forevermore. Amen.